title of today's message is For the Glory of God. Uh, the Bible is filled with phrases like for the glory of God or to the glory of God. And I'm going to start right off by borrowing uh, an excerpt from uh, Pastor Matt Chandler. I edited a bit to kind of save some time, but he put together a list of some occurrences of, of these phrases throughout the Bible. Um, I'm going to read it kind of fast because there's a lot of them here. Isaiah 43 says that God created us in his glory. Isaiah 49, that God called Israel for his glory. Psalms 106, that God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. Romans 9, that God raised up Pharaoh to show his power and glorify his name. God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea to show his glory. God spared Israel in the wilderness for the glory of his name. That's Ezekiel 20. God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his name. Uh, why did he drive that people out? He specifically said, I'm not driving these out because you're awesome. You're a stiff-necked and rebellious people. I'm driving them out because I'm awesome, not me, God. <laughs> um, God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his name. Second Samuel 7 says, uh, says that. In 1 Samuel 12, God did not cast away his people for the glory of his name. In Ezekiel 36, God restored Israel from exile for the glory of his name. John 7 18, Jesus sought the glory of his Father in all that he did. In Matthew 5, 16 and 1 Peter 2, 12, we see that Jesus tells us to do good works for the glory of his name. And in John 14, Jesus says that he answers prayer, that God may be glorified. In John 12 and 17, Jesus talks about enduring the final hours of the cross um, for the glory of God. In Romans 3, 25 through 26, God gave his son to vindicate the glory of his righteousness. Uh, John 16, 14, a ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the son. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. There's a couple more. Uh, God tells us to serve in a way that will glorify him. That's in 1 Peter 4. Jesus coming again for the glory of God. That's 2 Thessalonians 4, chapter 1 and 2. And in the in the New Jerusalem, the glory of God is replaced by the sun. That's Revelation 21, 23. Yeah. From Genesis to Revelation, the story of the Bible is that God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. God is the only one in existence that cannot be vain. Vanity is, is having too high of an opinion of oneself, and it's simply impossible to have too high of an opinion of God. God is the only one deserving of all praise and all honor. Yeah. Normally, when I think about preaching, it's a good goal to not try and overwhelm the listener. Today is a little bit different. Today, I'm okay if you feel overwhelmed. In fact, I hope that you feel overwhelmed. Uh, while I was preparing this, I was overwhelmed. Um, and I feel ill-equipped um, to even bring this to you. So just pray that the Holy Spirit uh, does what I can't uh, to bring justice to this topic. So uh, when we think of the glory of God, our minds likely 
are drawn to stories of the glory of God filling the temple. Uh, Or maybe we think about Moses when he asked God to show him his glory and how his face shone. If you're like me, you might not have a real solid definition of the word glory sometimes. You might not be able to just spit it out. Um, When we use it outside of the context of God, uh, we might be talking about something like restoring an old car uh, to its previous glory. Uh, You can imagine it with new leather seats and shiny chrome bumpers, the engine firing off instantly the moment you turn the key, the engine pouring smoothly and sweetly, but barking responsively every time you depress the accelerator. (laughs) And even the smell of the interior is fresh, like it were brand new. The glory of the car is summed up in all of its attributes. We also see glory used to describe somebody who excels in a sport or when they're at their, at their prime and they're having the greatest game of their life, you might say that they are in their glory. The glory of the athlete is found in their amazing accomplishments. Well, the same is true when we talk about God. God's glory is summed up in all of his amazing attributes and all of his amazing accomplishments. I often reference... Uh, verse, iron sharpens iron. As, one, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, uh, describing how when we spend time with people, they shape us. The same concept is true as we spend time immersed in contemplation of God's glory. He changes us. Last week, Pastor Dunn uh, said that the church is not just remembrance, but it's experience because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is taking the truth and making it alive in us And who is the truth? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, The word of God is the truth, and the Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Holy Spirit takes Jesus and makes him alive in us. And if we ask him to, if we come expecting him to and we allow him to, um, he will be alive in us today and we can experience him and experience his glory. So let's pray that that happens today. Uh, Dear Lord, um, we just come before you humbly. Uh, We just ask that you would open our eyes, open our imaginations um, to understand the ununderstandable, Lord, um, that you would um, help us to grasp in a small way your glory and that we would respond uh, as, as only someone could in the presence of your glory, which is to fall down before you and surrender all. And uh, we just, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first and most obvious things that we, uh, where we can see the glory of God is in creation. Uh, it's, it's just a great example for us to kind of set our, our boundaries for what God's glory is. If it, and you'll see what I mean. <laughs> Setting boundaries is maybe not the right word. Um, Romans one twenty says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. I don't know about you, but on these cooler days, um, lately I've been thinking a little bit about fall. I know some of you don't want to don't want to hear it. Summer's flown by just like it always does this year. Seem, seems like it was even more compressed. Um, but one of the things I love is driving down to this valley and you see all the leaves changing, all of the, 
the oranges and reds and yellows, and I find myself in awe of the beauty. It looks glorious. Uh, it's displaying a glory, but the real glory is not in the trees themselves. Uh, the same can be said about the breathtaking sunset, the vastness of the stars in the night sky, or the delicate beauty of a flower. Now, if you look at these flowers here, and you imagine that I raised them, or, um, uh, if I showed you these flowers, you might think they're beautiful, even glorious. And you may even attribute some praise to me for my gardening skills. Now, this is hypothetical. If any of you remember me talking about my gardening skills before, um, they have not improved since last time. I was going to take a picture of what I raised this year. Uh, I didn't get a chance to, but I, uh, it's pathetic. Yes, that's another word. I was going to sum it up in the word abysmal. Um, it's really bad. I, I don't know if I... Yeah, anyways. Um, so you might attribute to me some praise for my gardening skills, but imagine that I tell you that someone designed... This. Imagine somebody like sitting at a desk, you know, they designed it and they, they manufactured it. Not only that, but they, they, they created the soil that it grows in, the atmosphere that it grows in, um, the sun and the rain that it needs to feed it, and integrated a feature that allows it to reproduce so there's new ones every year. Somebody designed that. That is how big our God is. And that is the extent of His glory which is beyond comprehension. We see something that looks glorious, but it points to the glory of the Creator. Are you in awe? Yes. It's just incredible. And I just ask that you lock this in. Uh, the way that creation displays the extent of the greatness of God because some of his other attributes I don't know if I'll do as good of a job of describing but but uh, as you'll see they, they're all comparable um, creation is one example of the power of God one attribute of the overall glory of God Psalms 147.4 says he counts the stars and calls them by name not only can he count them all but he has named them all how great is our Lord. He is powerful. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. Another definition of glory is sometimes uh, that uh, it, it secures praise or renown. The name Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci, those names are renowned for the artwork and achievements they have. But in comparison to God, there is no comparison. God's name is renowned. His mighty works are displayed throughout the entire universe. The glory of God is summed up in all of his attributes, and God's attributes are consistently beyond measure. Did you know that not only can we not measure the expanse of the universe, but it's still expanding today? As, you, as we walk through some of the attributes of God, I invite you to try and grasp that all of God's attributes are equally unmeasurable. Um, God's wisdom and knowledge. We see the wisdom of God in creation as well when we look at the fine-tuning of the universe. Jeremiah 10, verse 11 through 12 says, um, Say this to those who worship other gods. Your so-called gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. But the Lord made the earth by his power, and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. 
Not only does God have the power to create, but he has the knowledge and understanding to do it. In fact, he's greater than that. God had never been taught. He didn't learn how to do these things. It, there was no practice and error uh, or trial and error. Um, he just knew it all. In fact, all of the knowledge that we have today, uh, whether it be physics or chemistry or biology, mathematics, any knowledge that is out there is from him. He created it. He designed it. He, he, he is all wisdom and knowledge. There are some things uh, that we can consider about the vastness of God's wisdom and knowledge as we look at creation that, that kind of help us maybe get a little bit of a grasp on it. Earth's orbit. The speed and rotation of, of Earth on its axis as well as, as it, how it re revolves around the sun, if it didn't spin fast enough, we wouldn't be able to sustain life. It, let's say the day lasted 300 hours. Uh, the other side of the Earth would freeze. Um, if we didn't revolve around the sun at the right speed, at the right distance, uh, we would, if we were going too fast, we'd fly out of orbit. If we're going too slow, we get sucked into the sun. God's wisdom... Is, is why this is right. Our atmosphere, it blocks out rays that would scorch us, but it also traps in enough heat to keep us sustained overnight. Um, complementary organisms. He created plants that make carbon dioxide, animals that breathe out carbon dioxide and breathe in oxygen. Um, they, they feed off each other. So you're going to feed after each other the food chain. We, he created so that there are, there's no gaps. If there's a gap in the food chain, everything dies. It's all connected. Reproduction after its own kind. Uh, I, I was thinking about this as kind of weird thought, maybe, um, but but only things can that are the same can multiply. It, it would be there'd be no order if if we had a uh, something with the appetite and nutritional needs of a lion that had bred with a platypus and had a build mouth. It it wouldn't work. You would have a bunch of dead offspring. There's order to to even the reproduction. God's wisdom um, is there to preserve. The the human body um, eyes. I, I always think about the eyes. To me, this, of the senses, they are just the most amazing. Because um, maybe because I just can't figure it out. Um, when I see something, uh, I'm taking in light signals or something into my eyes, and then my brain is processing this. But I don't see it in my imagination. You know, it's not like when you close your eyes and you try and remember something. It's kind of a fuzzy picture, and, and it's and it's like that would be internal. But I see it out there. I, I don't understand how it works. Um, it's, it's just amazing. Not only did it give us eyes, but he gave us tear ducts so that we can wash those eyes so that they don't sting or hurt. He gave us eyelids to, to help clean them, eyelashes to help keep stuff out of them. He gave us a circulatory system that's involuntary. Uh, you know, we can go to sleep and it doesn't stop on us. Um, when we're, we have a nervous system that gives us protection from cuts and burns, uh, from heat, from bugs, we can feel that something is dangerous, something isn't good for us. Um, he gave us a digestive system, a way to nourish our bodies and sustain our life. Not only that, but he gave us a feeling of hunger. Like imagine if you didn't have a feeling of hunger. You might just forget to eat and, <laughs> and then you croak. You know, just... <laughs> Um, respiratory system. Now, this is involuntary, 
in that we can go to sleep, but also we can control it. If we dive into a lake, we can stop it so that we don't breathe in water. If we end up in smoke, we can hold our breath and try and protect ourselves. I mean, all of these intricacies with each of these systems, reproduction systems, he designed it so that you need a male and a female, which then also complements the design that he created for our offspring to be raised with a husband and a wife. Uh, everything was thought of. He gave us fingernails. Uh, maybe that seems like a, a strange one, but I just was thinking, man, if I had an itch and I didn't have fingernails, <laughs> that would just be frustrating. And, and we use them for other things too, but uh, it's incredible. Um, Jeremiah says, the Lord made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom. Preserves it by his wisdom. Do you know how many tries it took God to make a human body that worked? One. Do you know how many tries it took him to make an earth that sustained life? One. How many tries did it take to make a universe that didn't implode on itself or fly apart because he didn't get the gravitational forces or the masses correct or the velocities of the stars or the distance between the planets just right? One try. And his wisdom preserves it all. It sustains it. He, he knew what he was doing. He, he is wisdom. He is knowledge. Um, he is glorious. Are you feeling small yet? <laughs> How about love, another attribute of God? 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Right? Not that he has love. If he just had love, there could be some quantity to it. He might run out. But God is love, and God is inexhaustible. And what does the Bible say about God's love in Ephesians 3.18? It says, and, you may, um, and may you have the power to understand, as, oops, as all people should, all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Okay, so you, you all know this, right? It says right there, as all of God's people should, you know, you guys know, right? How long, how deep, how wide? <laughs> but, okay, there's another verse. I'm just kidding. Verse 19 says, um, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. So you're off the hook. It, it says right here, it's too great to fully understand. You don't need to be able to to say it, but what it's saying here, it says, using what, what we've learned from God's power and from his wisdom and creation, uh, as far as how we gauge this, how we measure it, how wide is God's love? It is unmeasurable. How long is God's love? It is unmeasurable. How deep is God's love? It is unmeasurable. It is too great to fully understand. Essentially, in this verse here, it's telling us, um, we're told that all of God's people should meditate on God's love until we comprehend how uncomprehendable or incomprehensible, God's love is. First Peter 5, 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. And all of your worries, uh, give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. It's, it's talking about might, the might of God, and God caring for you all right together. It just blows me a mind, uh, blows my mind away uh, just how how amazing this is. It, right? I, I, I used an analogy a while back about um, a fly in a spider's web and, and how I could save the fly, but I don't, I don't care. 
I, I don't care about the fly. Um, the fly is just a bug. Um, uh, we just we just looked at the mighty power and the knowledge of God, and we are smaller and less intelligent in comparison to God than that fly is to us. Okay, so it says here that we're supposed to that that we this should cause us to be humble. This causes us to humble ourselves before Him, um, but He cares for us. He cares for us. Um, Jeremiah says, "Oh, switching backwards here." Um, he says, "Give me all your worries." Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that just make you want to cry out, "I'm not worthy"? That this great God, that is incomprehensibly greater than we are, cares for us. Now the analogy falls apart here a little bit um, in that we're not bugs. Um, God created us differently than all of creation, that we were created to be uh, made in his image. So any of you who are starting to feel a little bit like you need to start caring for bugs more so that you're displaying the, the, the character of God more, you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. <laughs> bugs are bugs. All right. Um, Psalms 136.26. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Psalms 36.7, how precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. 1 John 4.18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved, because he loved us first. Um, Romans 8.37, I've got a lot of verses, so we're just kind of plowing through them. Uh, Romans 8.37 through 39, uh, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation, which is extensive, we saw, uh, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, one more. Isaiah 54:10 For the mountains may move and the hills disappear but even then my faithful love for you will remain my covenant of blessing will never be broken says the Lord who has mercy on you God's love is too great to understand it endures forever it's unfailing it's perfect perfect I, I'm not able to give perfect love. God's love is perfect. Nothing can separate it, separate us from it. And it is faithful always. It will never be broken. His love is just part of the overwhelming glory of God. It's just one, one more attribute. Uh, um, so what about God's forgiveness and his mercy? Psalms 103.12 says he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? <laughs> it's right, unmeasurable, incomprehensible. Isaiah 43.25, I, 
I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. This is the same God that knows all. So, I mean, he's not running out of memory space here. Not only does he forgive us, but he says, I'm never going to think about it again. Never going to think about it again. I can forgive my wife. My wife can forgive me. (laughs) Seems a little more common. Um, But it's a bigger ask that she would never remember what it was that I did. (laughs) But God does that for us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you notice the limits there? He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't give any. He said, if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. Um, and not only that, but he goes be above and beyond what we're able to do. Um, he doesn't just say, it's okay, but then leaves us in our shame and our guilt. No, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, washes away, it's gone. We don't have to worry about it. The God of creation says that we're okay, we are okay. We don't have to carry that anymore. And then... He goes even a step further and he attributes the righteousness of Christ to us that we can then share in the glory of God. The, the, the glory of God. I mean, uh, uh, what, what can you say? Like, we, we looked at how great the glory, and then we're now we're able to, to share in that because we've been, it, have Christ's righteousness imparted on us. And, and, uh, our God, uh, our God is great and greatly to be praised. Um, some other attributes of God, I'm not going to go into defining all of them as I have these other ones, but uh, he's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He's faithful, foreknowing. He knows the future. He's good. He's holy. He's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the earth is filled with his glory. He's immutable, impartial, incomprehensible, infinite, jealous, just, long-suffering, omnipresent, omniscient, righteous, self-existent, self-sufficient, sovereign, transcendent, transcendent, and the list is not exhaustive. The words don't exist to describe all of the attributes that God has. And each one of them is just as incomprehensible, unmeasurable as his power and his wisdom that we see in creation. Are you comprehending how incomprehensible the glory of God is? His glory is beyond compare, and yet his glory is available for us to experience today. Again, this is not just a place of remembrance, but experienced by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're going to do a little walkthrough of 1 Corinthians 3. Um, so I hope you like the Word of God because we're going to take a big bite here. Uh, the big chunk is coming up. Um, think about the word spirit. You're going to see the spirit uh, throughout these passages. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 18. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not written in laws, but of the Spirit. The old covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. 
through it, though it, sorry, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Now, this is Moses was before God, he asked if he could see his glory, and the Lord allowed him not to see his face, but to see his glory as he passed by. After, after he's already gone past, he got to see the back of God's glory. Um, so was this shining in Moses' face his power? No, he was just reflecting the glory of God. Uh, verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all in compared, um, not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming. Now, see, I told you it was okay for me to overwhelm you today. It says here, it's the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Since this new way gives us confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. That's believing in the redeeming, restoring power of the cross. Yes, even today when we read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, whenever they receive the truth of the cross, the victory of the cross, and put their trust in Christ, that veil is taken away. Now, this is powerful. How powerful? When the work of the cross was finished during the crucifixion, the sky went dark in the middle of the day. Okay? At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and rocks split apart. The veil in the temple no longer separates God and man. I know you know this, but the part I found interesting is that the, it says the only separation is a veil that man chooses to leave over his own heart so that he can retain control over his life. So believing that that gives him freedom, right? We, we talked back in July, we talked about freedom and what true freedom is. I gave the example of an ice skater on a skating rink and how the walls around the skating rink are within those walls is where the ice skater really finds true freedom. Um, out in the parking lot, it doesn't work so well. A soccer field, I've never tried it, but I'm assuming ice skates don't work very well out there. Um, but within those boundaries, that's where you find freedom. Without the spirit, without the spirit, those walls that define the rink become more like barriers keeping you from freedom than they do walls that define where you have freedom. But through the Spirit, being able to reveal the glory of God, being able to call us to receive what Christ did on the, on the cross, it's, it's through the Spirit's calling that we, that we have that. We now can get past those barriers. We can now live within the freedom that God prescribed for us. Um, 
so then we can experience the glory of God and become the image bearer of God's glory that he created us to be. Um, Verse 17 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This last verse is the one I really want to focus on. Uh, The New King James Version says in the second part of verse 18, it says, uh, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. How many of you have looked at Romans uh, 12.2, where it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? How many of you have ever read that part where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and thought, how? Like, there's not a, there's not a, a step-by-step right after that verse, you know? Uh, and, and so how do I change? How do I, how do I get from where I am to, to where God wants me to be? And I'm sure you've found this out just as, just as much as I have, um, that by our own willpower, um, we can't do it. It's insufficient. And even if we find some level of compliance to God's word, uh, we're kind of maybe, maybe hitting the mark to some degree, um, it doesn't feel like my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, I have good news for you. Here is your answer. If you want the attributes of God to shine through you, it says... All of us who have had the veil removed, all of us. So that's, that's everybody who has believed in Christ. Everybody who has accepted the truth of the cross over their life can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. They can see the glory of God. Um, we're able, the veil has been removed. Okay, so now by the Spirit teaching us, if we sit and we read the Bible, with the, without the, the veil removed, we can read the Bible and we, we can read it without seeing the glory of God. But, but when we have that veil removed, we can see the glory of God. And then it says we reflect it. We, when we spend time in God's glory, when we see it, when we absorb it, when we recognize, you know, how great it is, we begin to reflect the glory of the Lord, all of his attributes, all of his, all of his goodness. Um, not all at once. It doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't work quite that easily uh, or quite that quickly because there's a process of us. It says, it says right in there that we, from glory to glory, there's, you know, it takes time for us to lay down ourselves and be brought into the glory of God. Um, so there seems to be two aspects revealed in this passage, which I, I thought was interesting too. The first uh, one we, we experience very quickly, uh, and you probably experience every time you come to church, you're in praise and worship, you're in a Bible study, uh, you're praying. Uh, it's very easy in those moments. It's like, a, it's like the sunlight shining on a mirror, like the, the, the goodness of God. It's pretty easy to reflect. Like you just feel, you feel God and it's just, you can, you can show love in those moments like nobody's business. Um, you get outside of those elements. You get outside of church. You get in home. You get in where you're not so much focused on the glory of God. You know, you're not, you're not so much letting it shine on you. Um, you're not so much reflecting it. Um, so, so there's two, two things. Once we, we, we're in it, 
it reflects off of us. But then the second, there seems to be a process that happens as we continue to spend time with him um, over the course of our lives. It says that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Like I said, this is a, this is a process where we're, we're constantly um, growing. And it says, even by the Spirit of the Lord. It's by the Spirit, not by us, not by our works, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Um, in which, which case, you know, we can't boast. There's no glory in us. It's like that flower did nothing to be beautiful, right? Uh, like God created it, made it to grow up and become what it is. If we put ourselves in the light of God and we grow up and we become what God wants us to be, it's not our glory. It's us reflecting the glory that God is, is causing to grow and to be displayed in us. Um, one man sharpening another is good. But when you sit in communion with the Holy Spirit... While he reveals the glory of God to us, we become a new creation altogether, not just reshaped. The old is gone and the new has come. Uh, we can experience this uh, life change by the power of the Holy Spirit as we meditate on the attributes of God, uh, spending time uh, talking about him, talking about his goodness with him. You can, you can talk to God about how great he is. You can go through all of these attributes. You can study them. You can, you can sing about them. Singing is an excellent way to bring the presence of the God into your, into your atmosphere. You know, he inhabits the praises of, our, of, of his people. Um, and, and we're going we're gonna to take some time and do that in a little, in a little bit. Um, but uh, we can sing about his power, his wisdom, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his kindness, his purity, his protection, his eternal existence, his faithfulness that his faithfulness that never ends. Whatever it is that we feel lacking, whatever it is that we feel like maybe the counter of that is 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 alive in our life, like like we feel fearful, you know, uh, we can we can focus on the portion of God's glory that He's a protector, that He's a provider, and 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 all of a sudden um, that fear is gone in in the in the knowledge of the greatness and glory of God. Um, the question is, um, have we grasped enough of the immeasurable glory of God to surrender? When we looked at the when we, we we looked at the glory of God and how it is beyond comprehension, are we willing to are we falling on our face? Are we surrendering our life, our life, our time, our will to the all powerful, all knowing creator of the universe that loves us and that while we were still sinners, he sent his son to die for us. I made kind of a mistake, I feel like, when I, was, when I was writing this, I got kind of shifted, and I started thinking more about along the lines of, of how we can, we can go to the glory of God, and we can sit with the Holy Spirit, and we can get what we need. Um, and, and that's not necessarily bad um, to, to want God to help us improve our walk with him, um, to, to bring us joy. I mean, that's, that's not bad at all. But what is our motive behind it? Our motive should not be so that we are more joyful or so that we have it easier, so that we don't have to uh, feel something that feels uncomfortable. In the end, it's for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Whatever you want to do, God, whether it's, it's uncomfortable for me or whether it's not uncomfortable for me, for the glory of God, um, we surrender. 
In the beginning, I showed you how the whole Bible is about for the glory of God, to the glory of God. The Bible, turns out, is not about us. It's about God. Um, His primary goal um, is that his name would be glorified. If we experience God and we have our lives changed, that's great. But what is our motivation? Uh, We were created to bring praise and glory to God. When Isaiah had a vision of the glory of God, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He was made aware of how unworthy he was when he saw a vision of the glory of God. And he responded by surrendering to God's call and becoming a mouthpiece to God for the nations. That didn't look like a lot of fun. (laughs) Some of of the the words that Isaiah had to speak before the nations um, were hard. It didn't necessarily make his life easier, becoming a mouthpiece for God. but he surrendered for the glory of God. When Ezekiel Ezekiel encountered God's glory, it says, this was the appearance, um, it says here, uh, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. When Paul was faced with Jesus in all of his glory, he fell to the ground. Even Moses, when he asked to see God's glory, he couldn't see God's face. He couldn't see the face of God. God said that he would die. At Mount Sinai, the people said that they couldn't stand to hear the voice of God or they would surely die. Today is the same thing. If we experience God's glory and we begin to comprehend how incomprehensible it is, how magnificent and how holy God is, in the light In light of that, we have, a, we have a choice. We can either surrender, we can either surrender or we can veil our hearts. You know, we can, we can keep a veiled heart and not allow God to shine on us. We can, we can either die to our selfish desires or we can retain our own sense of freedom, which, uh, which leads to death, a different death. Um, so, it's getting a little bit heavy. Um, I forgot to ask the worship team to come back up. <laughs> so run! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so today, uh, we're going to take a moment here. I know that sounds kind of heavy. Um, there's so much to this. Uh, you know, in the beginning, it's just amazing to just kind of... Imagine, open up our minds to the to the glory of God, to all of His attributes, and 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 the extent of Him. If we if we pause and we just allow the Holy Spirit to speak those things to our heart and to, to help us to really realize who He is in comparison to who we are, um, that's what causes us to have the stance. It causes us to to be able to be in a posture where the glory of the Lord can change our hearts. Because it's only by having that unveiled heart, it's only by asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us and 
to change us and to reveal God's glory to us that we can truly change. So um, I just want to invite you all to stand again. Um, We're going to worship God, and I just want you to um, contemplate and worship uh, the attributes of God and the extent of his glory. Lord Jesus, we offer you as a living, ourselves as a living sacrifice. We pray that it is holy and pleasing to you. Lord, we surrender our will. We surrender our desires. Lord, we know that uh, your call in our life is not always comfortable, but that you'll always be there with us. It may not always be easy, but you will always give us the strength. There may be pain, but you will give us joy in the morning. Lord, you are the answer to all of our needs, Lord. And, And in this life, in this short life, this brief life, it is our job. We were created to give you glory, and it is our response. It is our natural response in view of the glory of your name, in view of your attributes, in view of your greatness, that we would bow our lives down and surrender and say, Lord, take me, use me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Moses, I have no doubt that uh, that experience that he had had a had a lifelong expect on him, even though the the glory faded away. But we have the Holy Spirit alive in us, causing us to be able to carry the glory of the Lord with us wherever we go. And more and more, as we abide in Him, and He changes us from glory to glory. So today, with hearts unveiled, receiving the knowledge of the glory through the Spirit of God. Um, let us go into the world reflecting God's glory and shining it as a light into the darkness. Uh, let us allow it to change our outlook on our situations, whether it seems uh, dismal, whether it seems like there's no hope, uh, and, and whether or not it even changes The glory of God sustains us through it all, through it all. And so with that, I just, I dismiss you. Enjoy the glory of the Lord.